Have you ever experienced the pain of watching a loved one leave the faith? I have. Even in the most discouraging moments, we can be encouraged because God is in the business of leading prodigals back home. Hi and welcome to another episode of Great Stories with Charles Morris. And thank you for joining me for a day when I get to return to an interview I did with an old friend in Philadelphia, where Janet and I used to live when our children were young. Today, we're speaking to Barbara Giuliani, the daughter of the late pastor Jack Miller, who was a mentor to me at a critical moment in my life. But for Barbara, he was simply dad. And when she got older, she decided to turn away from her family and also her faith and their rules and their morals. She no longer wanted to be a Christian. Well, this is a powerful story that parallels one of Jesus' most famous parables. If you've ever seen a prodigal come home, you know the joy that comes with restoration. If you know someone who is still far from the Lord, then I pray that this podcast will bring you hope for the prodigal in your own life. And so without further ado, let's meet with Barb Giuliani. We're coming to you from what is called a carriage house. Sounds pretty pretentious, but it's really a, a wonderful, warm place. And with me is a pastor's wife, Barbara Giuliani. And Barb, for the very first time, welcome to Haven today. Thank you. Thank you, Charles. It's great to be here. I've been after you for 10 years to talk to me about a story. It happens to be your story. So I really, really want to say thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Even as we get started. You're married to a pastor. Your father was a pastor. That doesn't spell well, I guess, uh, being a PK and all that. It's kind uh, of the family business. That's true. The name of the book that you and your late father wrote was Come Back, Barbara. Your first name is Barb. This is a book about you. It's a story of, well, what is it a story of? It's a story of reconciliation. It's a story, really, about how I left home and faith and was gone for seven years and how my father pursued me and my mother and the rest of my family as well and how God eventually used that in my life and I became a Christian and my life mm. turned out very differently than I imagined. Mm. It was always a stated goal of mine that I would not ever marry a pastor. So that, <laughs> that hasn't worked out. <laughs> Doesn't God have such a sense of he humor? He has a very... <laughs> Very ironic sense of humor. Yes, yes, I would say that would be true. Okay, all right. Well, then let's go ahead and roll back the clock a little bit. You grew up in a large home in Philadelphia. There were five siblings mm -hmm. uh, in the family, your parents. Your dad was trying to teach at a seminary. He was mm -hmm. trying to start a church at the same time. Were you the one that always wanted to kind of rebel? Not at all. I was You were one, compliant? I was compliant. Mm. I always went along with everybody. I didn't actually like making waves. I didn't care for conflict at all. And my father was very, in his own sweet way, very much in charge of our home. And mm -hmm. I never wanted to cross him. And I didn't really cross him until I left home at the age of 18 and announced that I wasn't a Christian and mm. wasn't mm. really planning on coming back. And if Kevin Lehman were on with us today, he would want to ask, where were you in this birth order of children? I was fourth. Out of five. Out of five. And without Kevin being here with us in the interview, I'm not sure what four out of five means. So we'll, we'll move on from that. Most of those birth orders 
do not go far enough for our family. <laughs> I think it's one, two, three. I think so. All right. So what led you, the compliant child at age 18, you get out of high school to say, I'm not a Christian, because you would have been thinking that for some years prior to that, I'm sure. I was thinking for some years before I left that I was not a Christian, and I just had no way to express that to my parents. It wasn't part of our family system. Our family took great pride in who we were as Christians mm -hmm. and that all of us were extremely articulate Christians. Mm -hmm. We went to a Christian high school, elementary and high school, mm -hmm. and I did not think that a discussion of my faith would have been welcomed in my home or mm. my lack of faith in this mm. case. Mm. And I really think that reflecting on what was going on in my mind, I think basically I just thought my parents and their religious beliefs were standing in the way of my social life. <laughs> All right. Okay. So I wanted to have friends. I wanted to have fun. I wanted to do what felt good. It was, you know, just at that time where our whole culture was sort of, people were giving up rules, and I saw myself very much as a part of that. And I saw mm -hmm. my parents' mm -hmm. rules as just outdated and mm. unnecessary. This is interesting because typically we would have someone on and please tell me your story, and oh, I was raised in the Christian home, and at the age of four, I prayed the sinner's prayer, and I'm not one of those that really can say when I became a Christian, mm. but I prayed this prayer at four, but you had the perfect set of circumstances, and yet you were the one out of five that really didn't believe. But you're not alone in yeah, the world. Yeah, there was more than one in. of us. <laughs> I was the one that got to tell my story with my dad. Right. But I think, you know, I did pray those prayers. I did walk down the aisle. I mm -hmm. always felt a need when I was younger to be saved. And okay. I was always troubled by my sins. Mm -hmm. but, but at 18, you wouldn't have seen yourself as a sinner then, would no, you? No, I didn't. I think I really just gave up. I thought that being a Christian meant being perfect. So you were trying I to perform. I was. And, and I saw my parents as perfect because I never saw them really do anything wrong that I could see. Mm -hmm. So I just didn't understand that Christians were sinners and that you had to be saved by Christ's death on the cross and that, that you had to keep asking for that. You had to keep living a life of repentance and faith. Mm -hmm. I had no knowledge of that and I honestly don't think my parents really did. Mm -hmm. And they would say that. My mm. father, you know, has passed away and is with Jesus, but my mother would definitely say that now. Mm. that they didn't really understand the life of faith themselves and they didn't weren't able to share it with their children. All right, let's let's go on. You made this very bold announcement fourth in line of five children. Did you leave home? Did you go to college? I went to college. And you went off? You went away from home? I went to college and moved right in with uh, a boy that I met there mm -hmm. and didn't come home again for I came home briefly, maybe five years later for a couple of months, but didn't really live at home again. That must have been a real trial. Now, that's a bad way to say it. In a way, because I'm, I'm thinking as a parent myself. It and was a grief. Struggles. It was a grief for my parents, of course. They were grieving. They were. But it probably led them to pray for you in a way that they had never prayed before and to pray for themselves and their hearts yeah. as I, never before. Actually, what I did was very painful. And if one of my children did that to me, I'd be devastated. Mm. Um, 
but God did use it in their life to sort of break open their whole system of Mm. what they thought it meant to be a Christian Mm. and introduced weakness and brokenness Mm. and their daily need for Christ. It introduced Mm. all that to them because Mm. what their efforts had done hadn't worked out for them. The one thing my dad said to me that was so kind is when I left home And maybe nine months later, I wrote them a letter and said, by the way, I'm living with my boyfriend this summer Mm. and I'm not coming home. So he drove up to see me and he sat down with me and he said, you know, it's hard to hear that, but God wants us to know the truth. So I'm glad that I know the truth about you and Mm -hmm. I'm glad so I know who you are and how to pray for you. Mm -hmm. It was actually very comforting to me. Mm. So maybe what? Dickinson College is a couple hours away, two mm-hmm. and a half hours away, something like that. And you almost stayed away from your family because were you a little afraid to be with your family, do you think? I just really didn't want to be around any Christians. What I told myself was that Christians were hypocrites, although I always liked my parents. <laughs> but um, I didn't really think they were hypocrites. You didn't hate your parents, I didn't at least. at all. All right. But I didn't feel comfortable around them. And... I think, you know, looking back on it, I think my conscience bothered me when I was around my parents. So that's not comfortable. And of course, when you're relating to a child who has left the faith and Mm -hmm. yet they've grown up knowing the truth of who God is and who they are in God, they're not going to really want to be around people who remind them of the things that they're trying to Mm -hmm. really close their Mm -hmm. heart and their mind to. And what about your your siblings then? Were they reaching out to you at all during this time? I mean, it was looking back, it's just amazing the way my family responded to me mm-hmm. because they just worked really hard at having a relationship with somebody who didn't really want a relationship with them. And that's hard. Mm-hmm. It's so easy mm-hmm. to feel rejected and angry, but all of them worked at being in my life, at helping me whichever way they could. They all asked me for forgiveness for different things. Mm-hmm. And I was really the one that was acting badly. So Mm -hmm. it was an amazing thing what they did. So your dad had come to see you. Your mom was trying to stay in touch. Your siblings were trying to ask for forgiveness. And then what happened? You were in this other relationship. Well, I would say that, you know, as my parents and my siblings were being faithful and loving me and loving me well, my life just went from bad to worse. Mm. So Mm -hmm. the guy that I moved in with, I lived with him for a year and a half, and then Mm -hmm. we got married. Mm -hmm. And after about a year and a half of being married, I was just desperately unhappy. Mm. And I had dropped out of school to get married. Mm. So I left him and met a man who was actually a drug dealer and moved in with him. And that was in back home in Philadelphia. And that was back in this area. So and that relationship lasted for another three years. It was very Mm -hmm. destructive part of my life. Mm -hmm. And then in the end, I actually just got sick of being such a mess. And thought, well, I don't want to be a Christian, but maybe I could actually just be productive like my parents are. <laughs> like Maybe I could imitate that part back, of their life. Back to the story, you just zipped through a lot of pain, a lot of... It was very painful. ...stuff going on in your mm-hmm. life that yeah, you really didn't want really people to bad know about. Tra- well, I didn't really care. You didn't care no. at that point. And all this time, what was going on from your parents' side? Well, my parents didn't know... We didn't tell my parents that the guy that I was living with was a drug dealer. Right. So um, that was <laughs> knowing your late father. An that act of mercy. Have gone down so But of course, easily. you know, they did wonder 
I mean, they all kind of guessed that we were up to no good because there was a lot of money and mm. it didn't seem like anybody was really working too hard. So, mm. so yeah, I will say interesting about living with him. I kind of was like the Ark of the Covenant because he really stopped making money when I moved in with him. Mm. And business really The drug crashed. business tapered off? His did. And um, God just saved me out of there. Mm. So what happened? How did did you meet the Lord before the reconciliation with your parents? Then well, I wouldn't say or that, that I was the same ever. Time? You know, I wouldn't say that I was ever um, out of a relationship with them, mainly because of their efforts. Okay, but All certainly right. I wasn't close with them. But I was always in a relationship with them. And how were they responding? Because you were living in. A large city, but the same city. How were they responding? Well, they stopped to by your... all the time. My father shared the gospel with whatever drug dealer happened to be in the room when he was there. And I remember one time very clearly, we were sitting, talking. All these guys were there, and my father came in, and he, you know, he sat down, and he just started telling like all of his stories about how people became Christians and <laughs> how God was at work and. It was to me. It was very old hat, but to them, it was completely it was fascinating. And when he left, I remember one friend of mine looked at me and said, "Your father is a complete piece of work." <laughs> <laughs> I always thought that was the best description of him. So you know, they just they loved us. And come back, Barbara. One of the things that people criticized my parents for was that they loved us too well. Hmm. And you mean they should have taken a firmer hand exactly, with you, a firmer stance? Okay, you know, all right. As if that would have helped me. But in any case, my dad says in Comeback Barbara that they decided if they were going to make a mistake, it would be on the side of loving too much. Mm. I would not say from my perspective that that was ever a mistake. Mm. And a lot of people heard about Jesus who never, ever would have heard about mm. him. Mm. And I still pray for some of those people today. If you so. just joined us, we're talking to Barbara Giuliani, but she was Barbara Miller Giuliani. And she wrote a book with her late father, Jack Miller, called Come Back Barbara. How'd the Lord finally break through to you? Well, I would say that it was a long process. Mm -hmm. I think it began with me just not wanting to be as messed up as I was. And that was really a direct result of my parents' prayers. Mm. It was living with this guy that was a drug dealer, and I was going back and forth about whether I should leave him or not. And one morning... And I swear this is true. I got up and I was like, I'm out of here. And I just packed my bags and left. And my father said to me later, he said, I just started praying that you would leave him. Mm. And he didn't know that he was a drug dealer. So he didn't know like all the reasons I should have left him immediately. Mm -hmm. Like he always wondered if I should marry him, you know, because we were together. Right. But he just had a sense that I should leave. And he started praying that way. And it was just like the Holy Spirit just grabbed me. But mm. so in my quest to become a productive member of society, which I hadn't actually done that yet in my life. I went back to college and started working and supporting myself. And I met a man who was bartending where I was waitressing. Mm -hmm. And I moved in with him, which was very mm -hmm. disappointing to my parents because they thought I was getting myself back together. Mm -hmm. And now here I was in another relationship. So, mm -hmm. But they really like only skipped a beat. And then they were right back in there sharing mm -hmm. the gospel, welcoming us in, loving mm -hmm. us. And so I graduated from Temple University, went to California to work on my doctorate. Mm -hmm. and, you started um, at Stanford. I did, mm -hmm. yes. So um, before I left, my father was on his way to Uganda. And it was right after Idi Amin had been deposed and the country was very unstable. And he was afraid that he might die there. A lot of mm -hmm. people were. 
So he tried to have a conversation with me about faith, which always went very badly, mm. responded very poorly to anything he said to me about faith. And so he started out by saying, I don't want to take you to heaven with me as a beautiful memory. Mm. So I can see from your face, you think that's so sweet, but I took such offense to it mm. <laughs> and just started to yell at him, like, you think I'm going to hell and that's what's wrong with our relationship. And this is so, part of the it went south quickly It went south so quickly. My father actually just stopped talking at all, which was very unusual for my father. <laughs> and that really took me by surprise. And then he said to me, I know that you can't make yourself into a Christian, but how about if you just prayed that if God was real, he would show himself to you. Mm. And for the first time, I thought, well, I, he never said anything like that to me before. Uh -huh. And it was very encouraging to me to realize that my father knew that I couldn't just make a choice and believe in something I didn't believe in. Right. Like my parents always would say things to me and then, you know, God said this or that. And I'd be like, what are they talking about? Mm. Like I've never heard God say a word or do mm. a thing. <laughs> so I did pray that. I think that was the first prayer that I had prayed in many, many years. Mm. So I thought like if I don't believe in God, I can't pray for a parking place or that I'll get better if I'm sick. I felt like that wasn't right. Mm -hmm. But I felt like that was a prayer that I could pray. And uh, so I moved to California with the guy that I was living with. His name was Angelo. I had mm -hmm. met him when I was waitressing and he was a bartender and uh, planning to get married. And so we moved out to California together. And I really didn't think about that prayer. It wasn't like that it was in my mind. Mm -hmm. But what happened when I got there, I was under a great deal of pressure because I really wanted to do well. Mm -hmm. I had kept myself from trying anything that was challenging because I didn't want to fail. So now I really mm -hmm. had the possibility of failure. Mm -hmm. And I felt very much out of my depth there. Felt like everyone knew more than me. So I worked very, very hard, worried a lot. And it just became a time in my life where I began to notice exactly what I was like. And it was a, I was a very self-centered person. Mm. And I started to notice that I only thought about myself and that I only really mm. cared about myself. And that was very shocking to me. So I always knew, I grew up knowing that Jesus died for our sins. Mm -hmm. But I have to say that as a young adult, as a teenager and a young adult, I really did not think of myself as a sinner. Mm. I thought of myself as a girl who made some mistakes. Mm. And I had reasons for those mistakes. but. Just beginning to see that I could not love people was really very troubling to me. Mm. I remember thinking, like, I really need a savior. I really mm. need to be saved. That was mm. the first time that I thought that. Before that, Jesus' death on the cross was really incomprehensible to me. And isn't that interesting? Because all your life, you had heard the gospel it's being true. preached, taught in your home, and it just wasn't making seem, any sense. It just didn't seem to apply to me because I'd never really thought of myself as a sinner. I really thought that was an outdated concept. Hmm. But so the way that God answered that prayer was the first thing he showed to me was not him, but me. Mm -hmm. And when mm -hmm. I saw the way I truly was, then I really did want to know Christ. So the Lord out in Palo Alto. All by myself. All by yourself. Just Angelo, you weren't married at that point, but mm -mm. had thought about getting married and mm -hmm. he was going to get a job and work mm -hmm. and everything. But all of a sudden, the Lord was working. Yes. And I really did try to escape my knowledge of myself and my knowledge of God. Mm. 
And I thought this was going to be my whole Christian life. But for that season in my life, everywhere I went, I felt the presence of God. Mm. There was just no escaping it. You it mean like walking around on campus everywhere or, or I was. I remember thinking how silly that I thought there wasn't a God because he's everywhere. Mm. I just had such a sense of the presence of God. And it was like, I can't become a Christian. You can't be a Christian and get your doctorate in politics at Stanford. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you can, but this is what I was thinking <laughs> right. at the time. And I'm living with a man and it just wasn't working out for me on any level mm. to become a Christian. And yet in the end, it would be as silly as saying the chair I'm sitting on doesn't exist. It didn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. And one day as I was walking through Stanford's campus, I was worrying about something I had done to somebody else where I had failed to do something. And I was going over and over in my mind. And mm. I had this thought, which was from God, which was that if Jesus really died for your sins, you're forgiven for that. So I just asked Jesus to forgive me for my sins mm -hmm. and became a Christian. Mm -hmm. Then I went home and wrote Angelo a letter and told him that I became a Christian. By the way, we were married. We had gotten married a month or two before. And I wrote him a letter. I thought that was the best way to communicate. <laughs> before email or texting, now I would probably text him. By the mm. way, I've changed mm. my whole life. Mm. <laughs> so he said, that's fine for you. He was always a person who was very open mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. uh, everything. But I yes. was convinced that my life would be, and this didn't bother me at all. I thought, like, I'll go to church and he'll stay home and watch football and read the paper. Mm -hmm. And that's the way it'll go. And so we had a conversation. And mm. he said... That's fine for you, but I'm not ever going to do anything where I have to pray or go to church. Now, he would have been raised a Roman Catholic, he probably. Was. Yes, he and, was. And uh, he was through with that then. He had been through with that for many, many years. Okay. And he really just thought Christianity was a sham. Mm -hmm. And so he wasn't willing to participate. So when he said that to me, I was like, okay, well, how about if you read the Gospels? And, um, and he was probably willing to do that, too. It wasn't on his list of things he wasn't going to do. Ah, okay. All right. So he started reading through the Gospels, and, you know, he was struggling with things in his life. He was struggling with drugs and direction, and he was always a very fun-loving, active person, but mm -hmm. he really was purposeless. Mm -hmm. And he used to talk to me about that. And when he started reading about Jesus, it just was somebody who was everything that he wanted to be. And uh, about mm. six weeks later, he became a Christian, too, <laughs> which was an amazing, yeah, an amazing gift amazing. from God. It is amazing. Yeah. If you just joined us, you're listening to Haven Today. We're talking with Barbara Giuliani. She's the author of a book called Come Back, Barbara, and she wrote it with her late father, the pastor, about her life story. And the foreword to the book is by Larry Crabb, and some of you may have heard of him as well. Great author. Barb, your world was turned upside down. Or right side up. Or right side up. I actually had the and distinct feeling that it, my world became right side up. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I, I'm so interested because I know your parents. I knew your father. I loved your father. I know your mom. How'd you let them know? Did well, you that, write them a letter? I called. <laughs> oh, you called. They were All actually right. home. They weren't in... In Uganda. Uganda. They weren't then. in Uganda. They were home. So and, I called and them. And you called them in the phone yeah. and told them. Yep. They were pretty excited. I bet they were. And your siblings. And they were. Who had been concerned about you and praying for you yeah. as well. It was a great day. 
And of course, for our listeners that weren't listening at the beginning of yesterday's program, you are now married to a pastor. I am. Whose name is Angelo. He did. He became a pastor. Wow. Something that I was consciously trying to avoid in my life, mm. but God's plans are very different, and I'm actually well-suited to be a pastor's wife. Mm. It's very familiar to me on very on you, many you, levels. You, you grew up with it. You know what it entails, yeah. and you know the hardships of mm-hmm. it, too. And uh, as you think of your own life and what you went through, what the Lord allowed you to go through, and, and how the Lord just finally reeled you in and called you and you responded to Him, you think this has helped you as a mother or now a grandmother or as a pastor's wife? Well, I think there's two things that have helped me, probably many more, but two things that I can Mm -hmm. think of right now. And one is to never think that the way things appear at any one moment are the way they really are. And to always know that God is up to something Hmm. in people's lives. He does answer prayer. He hears prayer and he answers prayer. Mm -hmm. And he is in charge of a very big kingdom. So while we watch and wait and worry about our children, God has kingdom purposes in mind, and he Mm. weaves it all together. Mm -hmm. So it's just a great gift to me to be able to look back and see some of those kingdom purposes. The other day I was teaching at our woman's Bible study, and I was talking about this very thing, and I said, God had so much in mind when I brought Angelo home, and I'm still thinking about my parents horrified faces the first time they met him and he had like a little bush and was wearing like bell bottoms and platform shoes and they had seen me go through like three other men and were hoping that I had like finally got my head on straight and then here's this guy so that's how things appeared Mm. and yet God had a plan that included everything about my life my four children, the many people Angelo's ministered to all over the Mm -hmm. world, Mm -hmm. even speaking at that woman's Bible study at the little church that we planted five years ago. People in Swaziland, he's director of Swaziland Relief. It's a big, big kingdom. Mm. And we just aren't going to get far if we second guess God. We do have to trust his purposes for our family and for our children. So that's one thing. And I would say the second thing is that God calls us to step towards people with love, and that often is a suffering. Hmm. And yet that's how Christ works. Hmm. So my parents did suffer to see Christ formed in me. Hmm. You know, I hurt them. I rejected them. It went on for years. And they, they were faithful because God had been faithful to them. We've got a lot of parents or people who have someone in their life, maybe it's a grandparent even, Mm -hmm. or a teacher, whatever, and they're praying for prodigals. And we as a ministry, we get phone calls every day from people asking us, please pray for my Mm -hmm. kids. Drugs figure more heavily Mm -hmm. now than ever before. Mm -hmm. But your second answer there, and you want to expand on that a little bit, just some words that could help that person out there who's just praying for their prodigal in their life. I think that it's a strategy of Satan to make us hopeless about people Mm -hmm. and to view them without faith and without Mm. the love of God and without the purposes of God. And uh, I 
think about Dante and how he, in his book, The Inferno, he had written above the gates of hell, abandon hope, all ye, you who enter here. Mm-hmm. So I think the, the, one of the most important things is to resist that, is to not view the person that you love the way even they view themselves. Mm. That you look upon them as somebody who God is going to be at work in because God does answer prayer. He hears our prayers. We don't Mm. know when or how he's going to answer those prayers. He doesn't call us to pray for people without hearing that and without being at work and without having his kingdom purposes go forward. Faith, hope, and love. Mm. Those Those are the things that we bring to our children. And don't think they're not watching you Mm. because they are and don't think that they're not wondering if your faith can encompass their bad behavior because they are wondering that they're wondering Mm. if what they're doing can destroy your faith in god Mm. and your gift to them is always your faith you know faith is very contagious just Mm. like unbelief is yes and in the end I didn't know anybody else like my parents. I didn't know people who could say they were sorry. I didn't know people who would love me even though I was mean to them. Mm. I didn't, you know, I didn't see anyone laying down their life for anybody except the Christians that I knew. And that became very contagious to me. Mm. Barbara, we're looking a little more deeply at the parable that Jesus told. It's been called the parable of the prodigal son through church history. You've been there. You were the prodigal. You read that passage today. How, how do you read that? The part that I've been thinking about lately, about the parable of the prodigal, is how the father let his son just take advantage of him. Hmm. And I think that we miss that. You know, he asked for half of his inheritance, which was basically telling his father, I wish you were dead right now so that I could have all these things. And then he took it and he spent it all. You know, if somebody came into my office and was telling me that story, I'm not sure how I'd counsel him. I'm not sure if I would say, like, you did the right thing. Hmm. You know, I think that my instinct might be to say, you're enabling him. Mm -hmm. And yet that's what the father did. And then when the son came back, he welcomed him in. So I think that it's really just important to locate ourselves in that parable as the prodigal, no matter whether we acted badly as I did, or we've always sort of been like a nice person. But either way, if you really know yourself, you know yourself as the prodigal. And you know that the Father has done everything for you and has welcomed you again and again. Who, who of us does not sin the same sins every single day? Mm-hmm. And who of us does not get welcomed by the Father every single day? And it's really knowing that grace and that love that allows us to love our children in the same way. I really believe that people become Christians as other Christians suffer. I know that was true in my life. You know, the suffering of Christ is what finally and surely saves us. It's his death on the cross. Mm -hmm. And yet Paul does say, I fill up in my flesh what is lacking. It's not that there was anything lacking about that great salvation, but the offer of salvation comes with a suffering. 
So I think that we're often, you know, we raise our children, we love them. They're, you know, they're little enough that you can pick them up and put them on a timeout when they have a temper tantrum. And um, I don't know if we ever really expect to suffer to see Christ formed in them. Mm. But there's definitely a suffering in watching and waiting and continuing to love your child, to move towards them, even though they reject you and hurt you or use you mm-hmm. or use your resources. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, those are the questions that parents still, you know, right. after all these years, right. they email me, they find me, they want to know, okay, I read Comeback Barbara, but what would you do here? Mm-hmm. And really, it's just going back to the story of God's grace to us. And then asking God for the wisdom to how we express grace to our children. What do you think about the older brother? Traditionally, he doesn't get much play when people preach or teach on that parable. But And, and yet the parable was should. really aimed at the older brother, and right? It actually could be named for mm-hmm. him and not for mm-hmm. uh, the prodigal son. Mm-hmm. So what, what do you think about I think we're naturally... I think we can be divided in our lives and maybe in any given day between the older brother and the younger brother. And the older brother is the one who doesn't know that he's a sinner and Mm -hmm. doesn't know that he needs grace. And the younger brother is the one that doesn't care. Mm -hmm. And in the end, the younger brother realizes, I am a terrible sinner Mm -hmm. and I need grace. And the older brother never sees that about himself. One time my dad said to me, well, Barbara, the good thing about you and I, my father had a very sort of checkered growing up before he became a Christian. He goes, the good thing about you and I is that we can never forget we're great sinners. And when he said that to me, I thought, I think I've already forgotten. (laughs) I'm already wondering, like, why can't Mm -hmm. these people get themselves together? I got myself Mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. And so quickly we become the older brother. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you don't know whether you're the older brother or not, you then just check and see whether you, whether are, you have then. any grace for anybody else. Yeah. Because if you don't have any grace to spare, that means you haven't been given any. Wow. And if you haven't been given grace, it's because you didn't want it wow. and didn't think you needed. Hmm. So, and then when you see that about yourself, that's what you need to repent of. Hmm. And come back to your father's house asking for the grace you need. Hmm. Barb Giuliani, there are people really, really listening intently to what you are saying right now. Would you mind praying for those people? Probably someone who has a prodigal hearing you right now today. Would you mind leading us in prayer that we could all hope and see God break through and expect him to as well? Let's pray. Father in heaven, We are so grateful that you know more than we do and that your world is big. And we are also so grateful for your love, that your love endures forever, that it's steadfast and sure. And uh, we think of all those people we know and especially those closest to us, our children, who you've put into our care and uh, made us, given us responsibility for, Lord. And yet um, we can't take responsibility for whether they know you or not, because that's really in your hands. And we just pray, Lord, we pray for mercy. Pray that in your mercy, that you would waken up those who are dead and far from you, and that they would notice that they're not in their father's house, and they would come back to you. Hmm. 
I just, um, and I pray for mercy for us, Lord, that we would live a life of faith and repentance so that we could really put you on display. I pray for those who are, whose faith is failing right now because of the struggles of their children. I pray that you would strengthen them, you would give them your spirit so that they can live by faith and that proclaim that you are Lord and that you love them and that your love is better than life. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Great Stories with Charles Morris. I hope this conversation with Barb Giuliani was an encouragement to you as you think about the prodigals in your own life who still have yet to come home. If today's episode was a blessing for you, can I also ask that you leave a kind review? You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, But you can also go to our website, haventoday.org, and you can sign up for our weekly email and discover other episodes posted on this blog. Thank you for joining me once again on Great Stories with Charles Morris. Mm -hmm.